Every single person has a story, and the story that God gives to us is, is a greater story than we can ever make for ourselves. And, and here's the good news. With this change that God brings to us, it's always a change for the better. Now, I always think of it in this way. If I'm going to change, change for the better, but change forever. I've heard that uh, kind of in my life because many times I would say to my wife, Heidi, I would say, I'm going to do better. And then when I don't, it's kind of like a letdown. So instead of saying, you know, I'm going to change, I'm going to be different, I'm going to do this better, just make the changes that are necessary and do whatever needs to be done to make life work. Now, that's in a marriage. What about just in life? What, what would life look like if you could just make the change that you know you need to make for the better forever? What would life look like? Now, I know for some of us, we're saying, I know I, know I would like to change other people, and that would look great, and that would be probably better for everyone. But did you know when you change, everybody else changes around you? It just happens. Change is something that is hard to do, but is very necessary. But not all change is good. You have to choose that. And everyone is going to go through some type of change. Our country goes through changes. Our, our communities go through changes. Our family go, goes through changes. This week, our country is going to go through a major change. We're going to install our newly elected president. And so some of you, you're on one side and you're saying, boy, this is going to be a tough next four years. And some others are saying, this is going to be the best next four years. And I'm not going to take a poll in here. But all I know is this, no matter who is president of these United States of America, God is always on the throne, and it is in God we trust. And not, hey, I'm not, I'm just saying, right, regardless, regardless if we have a great president or if our president, you know, not, not so great, God is always good. And so it doesn't matter who is in office. What matters is who owns the office. And so we do pray for our, our president coming up and then the changes that we'll be going through. And the Bible even tells us to pray for your governing officials. So whatever side you're on, whatever you've been feeling, trust in God. Know that he's going to do something great. America is great because God is great. And God blesses America not because of us as a people, but because he's just a great God. Tomorrow we have a holiday, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And it's there because here was a man who wanted to see change happen. And because he had a dream, major changes took place in our country. But at the same time, when we look at where our country is at, when we turn on the news, when we scroll through Facebook, it almost seems like not too many great things are happening, even though he had a dream. Which brings us all the way back to, where is God in all of this? Where is God when things don't look like it's going well? Where is God when bad things happen? And where is God when our country goes through changes that may not 
look like it's going well. Well, God didn't go anywhere. God is always on the throne. He is always in control. What normally happens is we as human beings, because of our physical nature and because we have our senses, our five senses, we, we tend to base life on our five senses. But the Bible tells us as believers, we don't walk by sight, but by faith. And because of our faith in God, even when things don't look like it's going well, when we put our faith in God, we can be okay because we're the people of God. What I mean by that is we are on a different plane level, a different atmosphere than that of the world. Whenever God calls us to be a part of his kingdom, then what he's saying is you are to bring hope to the world, not the other way around. The world doesn't bring hope to God's people. God's people brings hope to the world. There's a major difference in that philosophy, in that way of thinking, in that truth, that God brings hope to the world and he uses ordinary people like you and I. Here's the amazing thing that every single person qualifies to bring hope into this world because God brings change into our lives now and forever. And what that means is whenever God brings change into a person's life, whenever he brings hope into a person's life, it's not just a temporary hope, it's a hope forever, all the way into eternity because God is not a temporary kind of God. He's an eternal God. So when he does a change in us, it's to prepare us for all of eternity. Wouldn't that be something if God was just a temporary God where he just made a change in us just for the day? I mean, what, what kind of God would he be? But he's a good God, and he's the kind of God who says the change that I want to make in you is a forever change because if God is going to do something great in us, it must be because of him. It cannot be because we're doing something great. I want to look at three truths today, three things that will help us as we make these changes. And, and these changes that God gives to us and brings to us is to help us to become more the person that he sees us to be. If you have your bulletin, you can take out the notes that are in there and it'll help you to follow along. There's some scripture that we're going to go through. And if you're new today, we want to welcome you and thank you for being here. You know, as we talk about change, one of the things that God does is he reminds us that even though change may be difficult, even though change may be hard, we change all the time. And one of the things we change all the time is our minds. Like this morning, when you're getting dressed. I see this happening many times. Someone in the family will get dressed, and then they will ask, how do I look? And I say, you look great. And they say, I don't like this shirt. And they'll go back and change. I'm not mentioning names. I'm just saying there's sometimes people in the family that will do this and change over and over and over. So we change our minds often. We change our minds often. We're at this uh, buffet line. And there, there, I have a pet peeve at buffet lines. And maybe this is not a pet peeve. This should be a law. <laughs> you cannot bring the plate that you just ate from back to the buffet line. Leave your plate there. Or take it to wherever it needs to go. But don't take your plate back to the buffet line and start putting food on it and touching your plate with it. That's just unlawful. 
that's actually awful. That's what it is. But there's this little girl at this buffet line, and she's looking at all the different pastries and donuts and, uh, you know, bagels and things, and she's touching them. She's touching them, looking at them, going through. I'm like, oh, this is, this should be banned too. This is, this should be outlawed. So, and then she looks at me like, what is this? I'm like, what do you want to eat? A donut? Then that's a donut, sister. You take the donut. That's whatever you, whatever you think that is, go eat it. And I'm thinking, we, we constantly change our minds. We, we constantly will think different thoughts. If, if we want something, we're hungry for something, we, and we want to get it, we get it. But then if we change our minds at the last minute, we're going to change our minds. We're just that kind of people. Sometimes we're just so indecisive that we don't know what to think, what to do, what to wear, what to eat, where to go. One of the most uh, difficult things if you're married or dating and, and you're going to eat out, one of the most difficult things is if someone says, um, where do you want to eat? And then normally you'll say, or oh, wherever. And then they'll say, no, well, well then we're going to go to, go to Jack in a Box. I don't want to eat Jack in a Box. Well, you said wherever. Well, where do you want to eat? Well, up to you, okay? And then I'm going to go to this place. And so then there's the, there's the back and forth, and then you end up fighting, go home, eat Simon. So there's, <laughs> there's the back and forth because we, we constantly will change our minds. Constantly change our minds. So this is just the last story. Just, it has to do with Heidi. So I, I, I'm, I'm asking for your permission right now, so thank you. So like when we go shopping for clothes, and I'm very patient. I've been good boy in the past month or so. So I don't, I don't know how this happens, but I know this is okay in a marriage. We're going to celebrate 25 years this year, so praise God that we're, we're, we're doing okay. Now, here's, here's what I find, and uh, this, one is, oh, this one is tough because I just asked for her permission, and if this doesn't go well, then 25 years, solid. <laughs> so when we go shopping for clothes... Right? So I help her shop. I'll hold the clothes and things. She'll try on clothes. And then you know, four hours later, we don't buy anything. I'm wondering, <laughs> what? what happens? All the women are like, yeah, and? What's, what's wrong with that? But I think part of shopping is just the experience. Right? Women, it's the experience. Like, you, you, you try on the clothes and you check them out. It's like, oh, nice. Mm. No. And you change and change and change. And I'm thinking, what, 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 is it? Like, what, what happens at that moment? And I think part of it is because we're mind changers. We, we actually can change. And we do that all the time. But whenever there's a change that has to do with something in us, why is it difficult? Even when we know that it's a change for the better. We still have a difficult time. Why is that? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. We're going to look at that today. In the book of Isaiah, the Bible tells us this. Isaiah 64, verse 8. The Bible says, Yet you, Lord, are our Father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. We are the clay, and he's the potter. Now, here's, here's, here's where it gets difficult. When the, when the Israelites, God's people, were called by him to go into the promised land, it should have taken them maybe six weeks 
to get there. It took them 40 years because they were unwilling to change. And so because they were unwilling to change, they had a very difficult time getting to where they needed to go because they were unwilling to change. So the changes that we go through, and when the Bible called God's people to go through these changes, they were unwilling to change. Because they were unwilling to change, God gave them almost like this is what happens when you don't change. And it's found in the book of Exodus, chapter 33, in verse 3. God told them, you know, go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, the promised land. He says, but I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. Now, here's what God is saying. When you're like clay and he's the potter, clay is moldable, shapeable, easy to form into whatever needs to be formed. But God is saying, once you become hardened and I'm trying to change you, you'll be destroyed because you can't mold and shape something that's already been hardened, like clay. Once, it's become, once, once it becomes ceramic, you can't mold it. It breaks. It, it destroys. So God is saying, the only way you can do whatever you want to do and not make any changes is become hard-hearted, stiff-necked unwilling to change. But when you make that decision, he says, I cannot go with you for you might be destroyed on the way. Now, that's, that's the not good news because we want God to be with us. We want to be with God. We want to have this relationship with him. But he says, if you're stiff-necked, then I, I cannot go with you. Do you know what that term stiff neck means it means hardened that you've you've become hardened have you ever been around a person who had stiff neck or if you've ever had stiff neck yeah hard to be around that person because when you talk to them it's like hey sheldon yeah (laughs) what's up wait where'd you go it's it's you're stiff neck it's it's hard to work with people like that They're, they're just stiff neck and you're in pain all the time So it doesn't work well. And God says, no, that's not who you're supposed to be. I want to change you from glory to glory. I want to help you to become who you're supposed to be. Now, because he's the potter and we're the clay, I want to to give you kind of the, the, the process in how clay goes through the kiln and then comes out on the other side as, as its finalized result. Once the potter finishes working with a piece of clay, he sends it to the kiln where it's going to be hardened with the heat. Now, as the heat slowly rises to about 100 degrees Celsius, any moisture that's inside the clay is drawn out and evaporated. And this is the critical stage for the clay. And if the temperature rises too quickly, then the water will boil and cause the clay to explode. The kiln could produce temperatures from 800 to 1,000 degrees Celsius. And this amount of heat is needed to permanently alter the chemical makeup of the clay so that it takes a permanent shape. So this superheated shape can then only be altered by breaking the finished product. Well, the clay 
as it's in the kiln shrinks slightly as the particle sizes slowly decreases as they fuse. And as this happened, the particles also compresses into a dense configuration within the glassy material that fills up all the nooks and crannies. In other words, the pottery comes out stronger than when it first went in. So clay comes from the earth and contains some measures of carbon, organic materials, and sulfur. And all these elements burn off between 300 uh, and 800 degrees Celsius. And these elements need to be removed or else there will be defects in the final uh, pottery during the vitrification. The vitrification is when the glass elements melt in there. So let's move on. Big word. After the clay has bonded or uh, after it's bonded or it is no longer truly clay but has instead become something that is called ceramic material, at this point the ceramic material can now be cooled, removed from the kiln, and then painted with glaze or some type of decoration. Now, the glaze-painted ceramic pottery is then placed back into the kiln to finish the firing process. Then the kiln is heated up to 1,000 degrees Celsius. So now the heat is turned up even more. At this temperature, the ceramic material matures and the, and the glazes are sealed into the material. Then when it is removed from the kiln, what was once a wet piece of clay shaped on the potter's wheel, is now a finalized, beautiful piece of pottery. So if you think of how God works, God will also use the kiln, as it were, in our life to mature us spiritually. And while in the kiln, we're going to go through different changes because of the process. And the reason why the Bible likens us to clay and God being the potter, is because clay at best can only become clay by itself. You need the potter, the master, to shape the clay and to bring it through the process so that it becomes the image in which the potter sees it to be. The potter sees the potential in the clay. The clay only sees at best its own potential as clay. Even at our best, when as we think of our potential, our very own potential, compared to the potential God sees in us, at best, our potential for ourselves is still clay. Because we can't think like how God thinks. But when we let him in, then he can make us into a better form than what we can see for ourselves. He can make our marriages better, our lives better, our families better, community, nation, world better. But it's going to require us saying to him, you are the potter and we are the clay. If we're going to change for the better, change forever, now and forever. And we're going to let God make those changes. Here's the good news. Philippians 1.6 says, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. That word perfect means mature. Just like the clay going through the process through the kiln, there's a maturing process and then it becomes greater and stronger than when it first came in. You know, when we first accept Jesus, we have what we call uh, impurities in us. Uh, the sin, uh, maybe some things that we've done in our past that we're not so proud of. And God says, well, there's some impurities in you, some, some flaws that I want to burn out. And so you got to go through a process. But the greatest first 
beginning of the process is this, this thing called salvation. It's God saving us so that he can now work with us. And he burns off all the impurities so that we can become better and better and better. And when he saves us, it's like all those impurities start to get evaporated. And every area of life, from personal life to family, marriage, and so forth, he says, I can, I can make better and better and better. And as difficult as it is to go through whatever process in your marriage or your family, your life, whatever, however difficult it is, it is so worth the process. It is so worth the end result. Why? Because the potential that God sees in us is far greater than the potential we see in ourselves. And he, that's what he wants to bring out in every single person. Now, you may feel like the heat is being turned up in your life right now. And maybe God, maybe, maybe he knows exactly what needs to be burnt out. So he's going to turn up the heat exactly to where it needs to be. Not too much to where you boil and explode, but just enough to burn off the impurities. But we got to be able to turn to him and say, I, I surrender to you. Otherwise, we're going to fight against God and it's not going to work out. So every single person can make these changes that God desires by living out these three truths and these three actions. The first one is this, to focus on the good that God is doing. Just focus on the good that God is doing. I mean, we would hope that our parents focus on the good that we were doing, right? If we were doing any good. We were hoping that that's what they focused on. I mean, the, one of the most... Uh, dreadful things that we would do or, or go through is bring home a report card that wasn't straight A's. If that's what your parents expected, I'm sorry, my, my, uh, my expectations were a little lower. So if I had a B, it was like, yeah. So, but if there were good grades and not good grades, sometimes we focus on the not good grades. Because we have a tendency to focus on what is not going well, what is not looking good. It's like when you come home, you, you come home to your house, instantly we see what is not good. Oh, that, they didn't do this. The dishes didn't get done. Oh, nobody fed the dog. Oh, nobody fed the cat. Where is the cat? You're looking all the way. It's like there's, there's, there's always something negative to look for, and we find it easily. We find it so quick. For the women, you look in the mirror, and you, you find your flaws quickly. Man, we look in the mirror. No matter what flaws, we still look good for some reason to ourselves. It's like, yeah, but I don't know why. It's like we have a tendency to look for what is bad. And God is saying, when you focus on me, focus on what is good. Because when you focus on what is good and you find what is good, you find God because God is good. That's why he says you got to look for the good. Whatever things are pure, excellent, lovely, whatever is of good repute, dwell on these things, Philippians 4.8 tells us. You dwell on these things. You think about these things. Why? Because if you're thinking about good things and God is good, you're always thinking about God. Now, your good and God's good might be different. So make sure the good you're thinking about is God's good. Focus on the good. Even in your marriage, look on the good things. Look for the good things that are happening. If you're dating, look for the good. If you're, if you're in your, with your family, your children, look for the good that God is doing. Too easy to find the negative. More difficult to find the good. The good is there. 
Some of you, in fact, I was talking to some people earlier, and they're not feeling well, and some people were sick. I just, you know, Thursday, Friday was horrible for me. I had fever and things like that. And you know when you have the, the chills, and you're, you're just freezing to death, and you have the, like, the all by yourself, all alone in the dark, and you're just freezing, and, and like, you can't even get warm. So I'm trying to think of the good, because I'm thinking of today, I'm thinking, okay, one of the, one of the points on Sunday is, focus on the good. So I'm thinking, what is good right now? I'm thinking, what is good? Lord, what is good? Heidi's good. Lord, thank you for Heidi because she's taking good care of me. She didn't even snap when I rang the bell four times. She was okay. I didn't have no bell. I didn't have a bell. I just text her, Heidi, I need soup. It's, it's, even in those moments when you're not feeling well, even in the, the moments where maybe, maybe finances aren't, aren't well, whatever it is, just look for the good. There's always good in something because God is always there. He's always present. Focus on the good. Let, let God show up. Uh, Romans 12, 12 tells us to be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. You know, these three qualities already help us to focus on the good. God is always doing good. I love the promise of God in Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Do you know that you're called according to his purpose? God has a purpose for you. He has, there, there is a reason why you're born. There's a reason why God created you. You have a purpose that's bigger than yourself. You got to believe that. You got to look for the good in that. And trust that God is doing great things even when it doesn't look like things are going well. Trust that God is doing great things. And here's the second thing. Let Jesus make the necessary changes. Let Jesus make the necessary changes in you. Because the necessary changes that he wants to make are always for the greater good. Always. Always for the greater good. We may not see it today, but we're eventually going to see it. I always tell our, our youth pastors this or, or those that work with our youth, uh, whenever there's like a, a teenager that's struggling or, you know, maybe they've lost hope, I said, you got to imagine them at 30. They said, what? They're only 13. I said, yeah, 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 yeah. But you got to imagine them at 30. Just imagine them. That may, they might be married by then. They might have children by then. They, they might have settled down. They're not, they're not always going to be like this. Well, some may be, but that's very rare. They, they go through changes. I said, you, you can love them today by seeing their potential tomorrow. Love them into their potential because that's what God does in us. Imagine if God, when, when, when we were crying out to him, if he looked at us and said, no, you're no good, I, you, you're messing up right now. Why would I want to save you? Imagine if God based his love on us with how we were. But God bases his love on us, on who he is. And he brings out the potential in us because of his love. His love draws out our potential and we can do the very same thing with each other. We can draw out potential in each other. We just got to let Jesus do the necessary changes in whatever way needed. He knows the best way and the best changes for our lives. 
We just need to trust in him. I love how 2 Corinthians 3.18 tells us that this takes place. That we all, who with unveiled faces, contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. You know what the Bible is saying? When God makes a change in us, it gets better and better and better and better. Whenever God makes a change in us, he makes it for better and better and better. He goes, as some versions of the Bible says, or different translations, from glory to glory. Not backwards, from gory to gory. He says, no, no, no. I, 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 I get better and better and better. And he does this now and forever. He's preparing us for eternity. See, if we have eternity in mind, then we can understand, okay, Jesus, you're, you're going to make whatever necessary changes because you're preparing us for eternity. We have to have an eternal mindset. If we have a temporary mindset, we're just going to change for the now. And if we only change for the now, then what good is that? We change now, but forever. And we continue to change forever. Continue and continue and continue. Will we make mistakes along the way? Absolutely. We'll have some dips here here and there, but we continue to make those changes and we get better and better and better. Philippians 3 verses 12 through 14 gives us this good news that not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have been taken hold of it. Uh, myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Yeah, he's calling us heavenward. There's an eternal destination for every single person. It's a place called heaven. This temporary world is not our final resting place. We're just passing through. And because we're passing through, then God is changing us from glory to glory so that we can one day, when we see him face to face, be perfected and finalized. But until then, he just takes us from glory to glory. We get better and better and better. Let him make the necessary changes that he needs to make. And then the last thing, allow the process of change for God's greater glory. Allow that change to happen for God's greater glory. Isn't... isn't, Isn't it the goal for every believer to bring glory to God? That's our goal. The Bible even tells us to to let our lights shine before men that they may see our good works and then glorify God in heaven. So if we're going to let our lights shine before men so that God may be glorified, why not start today? Today. Why not start in our very own lives with our families, our marriages? Why not, why not let our light so shine in such a way that people glorify God? That's, that's who he made us to be. We're representatives, ambassadors for Christ. We're, we're not just people who attend church. We're people who represent the creator of the universe, the almighty God. Do you know how valuable of a calling that is? That as, as mundane as days may be, or maybe you're at work and you're thinking, boy, is this, is this all I'm going to do all my life? Is this what I do? No, God, 
God uses us in various places to shine for His glory. That maybe a coworker would watch you and think, boy, why, why do you work with joy? How can you be doing the same thing I am doing, but you're, you're joyful? Well, because you're not doing that for the paycheck. You're doing it for the Lord, to glorify Him. And then He rewards you with the paycheck, but we're not doing it to earn money. We're doing this to glorify God. In everything we do, we put our hands to. We work wholeheartedly as unto the Lord because we're, we're not of this world. We're kingdom people. If you said yes to Jesus, and when I said yes to Jesus, that was the day I said to the Lord, Whatever changes you want to make in me, you have permission. You have permission. Now, I remember when I first became a Christian, a believer, boy, Lord, whatever you want to change in me, change. Oh, I need to ask for forgiveness. Oh, I'm sorry. Forgive me. Oh, easy to do. Oh, yeah, forgive me. Oh, you need to, oh, stop this. Okay, I'm going to stop that. Oh, cut this out. Okay, cut that out. Okay, good. But then years go by. For some reason, pride comes back up. It's like, no, it's not my fault, Lord. You tell them, tell me sorry. No, it's not me. No, it's those people. Like, something happens. And if we're not careful, we can become stiff-necked, hardened once again. Let that, let that not happen, but that we would be people who say, Lord, whatever process you want to make in my life, whatever changes you want me to go through, I am more than willing to go through. In other words, you may feel like Life is going from bad to worse. Maybe, just possibly, it's just where, where the clay going through the kiln, where the heat has to be turned up to burn off whatever materials don't need to be there so that we can have that finalized result. We just have to allow the process to take place, to allow God to make whatever necessary changes in our lives to be done, to be possible, to let him have his way. Because when he has his way, we'll be okay with the final result. We just, just got to be okay with the process. You know, just think of babies. When our babies are born and they're being trained to, you know, go to the potty, we're okay with the process that needs to take place. We don't yell at our, you know, uh, six-month-old baby because they messed their diaper. We don't, we don't scold them. Why? Because they're not there yet. They're still in process. And as they continue to grow older, and then they learn, and they grow up, then they, then they know how to go to the potty. Sorry, I'm using that illustration, but that's the best that I could come up with right now because I see a lot of you that have babies right now. But that's the process. You and I go through a process. And whenever God takes us through whatever process in our marriage or our family, let him, let him have his way. Don't fight the process. Just trust that he's, he's doing something. And, and let him do it. When you, when you feel that, you know, sometimes that pride comes up and you feel like, I don't want to. I don't want to change. It's at that very moment that is the best time to change. Because just like the pottery in the kiln, 
that, that process where the, the carbon has to be removed, the water has to be removed. There's a chemical change that takes place. And it's a difficult change, but it has to happen in order for the pottery to become stronger. Whatever change God needs to make in our life must happen in order for us to become stronger, in order for our marriage to become stronger, in order for our families to become stronger. Whatever change needs to happen, make the change because he's going to strengthen us in that change. And he's going to be the one that makes things work out together for good to those who love him, to those who are called according to his purpose. We all have a purpose. God gave us one. And he's not going to leave us to be stranded by ourselves, to figure it out by ourselves. Our goal should never be taken out of the heat of the fire too soon. The goal should always be to let the process go through so that we become more and more like Jesus. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 5 gives us a kind of like a hard mandate. It says, consider it pure joy. It almost sounds, sounds so beautiful. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters. And then it, it kind of takes a, whenever you face trials of many kinds, it's like, well, it starts off really good. Like, consider it pure joy. Oh, it's going to sound lovely. Something's, something good is going to happen. Consider it pure joy when you face many trials. It's like, what? That doesn't sound good. I don't, uh, why would I consider it pure joy when I'm going to face trials? Why should it be joyful? Well, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And then it brings it all the way home and it says, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. In other words, the Bible is saying, don't give up. Don't. You may be in the middle of it toward the ending of the process of the kiln, whatever, the heat may be turned up to almost a thousand degrees Celsius and you're feeling like bailing out and God says, no, 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 you're not finished yet because I'm not done with you yet. Yeah, but I can't take this any longer. <laughs> Just hold on. Stay close to me. Focus on the good that I'm doing because when you're finalized, you will enjoy the life that I'm making right now. Persevere. You can do this. And here's how I know this. The Bible gives us this promise. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. That no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. The potter knows exactly when to remove us out of the kiln. It's not going to be too soon and not too late. And he knows exactly what temperature we should be in. Exactly. And he will never turn up the temperature more than what is needed and less than what is needed. The potter knows exactly what he's doing. He's not going to destroy his piece that he worked on. He knows exactly what he's doing and where he needs to take the potter, the pottery too. He knows exactly what he's doing. 
We've got to trust him. Focus on what he's doing that is good. Always look for the good. Allow Jesus to make whatever necessary changes that need to be made. And trust the process. Let him do what he's going to do. He's the best at what he does. Let him make those changes now and forever. And you'll be thankful you did. Amen. You can close your Bibles and put it in your notes for a while. We're going we're to pray. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads for a moment. And as we pray this morning, let this be our, let this be our, our commitment with God. Let's pray. Lord, you've given us a vision, a vision of who you are and, and who we are, that you're the potter, we're the clay. We don't tell you what to do. You, you know us very well. You knew us before we were born. And you created in us the ability to live life here on this earth. But you've also given us hopes and dreams. And you see greater potential in us than we see for ourselves. And so I pray, Lord, for this season right now that we are all in, that whatever changes you want to make, that we give you permission to do, we also focus on the good that you're doing. That we would trust the process. Lord, even this week as we, as we swear in our newly elected president, Lord, we pray that you would lead the way. That our president would have the wisdom of God. That he would be directed by you. That you would surround him with people who love you and people who are called according to your purpose. I pray that, that he also would focus on you. That in this nation that we live in, that we are still one nation under God, indivisible. And you've given us liberty and justice because of your spirit. And so we pray for all of our elected officials in this season that there will be changes. But the greater change, Lord, is not our laws, the things that we put into place. Although we live in a system like that, the greatest change that will ever come to this nation, to this world, is the change of a human heart. And so, Lord, change our hearts to beat exactly like yours, that we would be people who represent you well, as your ambassadors should. And I pray for us as a church, as the body of Christ, that we would represent you well in a world in need of hope. And in this next season that you call us to be in this world, we thank you for allowing us the privilege of being a part of your kingdom. I pray for all of our marriages, our families, our loved ones, that you would always protect and be with us, keep us safe, and watch over us, and at the same time, give us the courage and boldness to fight against the darkness, because you, Lord, are the light of the world. 
and you are the one whom we want to bring glory to. We pray this in Jesus' name, and we all said together, amen.